Joker. Mr. Reagan. There has been much debate over this film, Joker, in recent days. In fact, I have never seen so many YouTube videos spring up over a new film before, ever. And I believe that that is a testament to just how good this film really is. And it is good. It's brilliant. So why am I, Mr. Reagan, reviewing this film? Because the left is losing their minds over this picture. (laughs) Fair warning, this review will be chock full of spoilers. Joker is an incredibly well-made film. Now, I have my own philosophical objections to the sympathy for the devil trope in fiction, so for that reason, I can never really love this movie. I'm not sure its existence in the world is necessary, and I certainly would not have made it myself. However, it is a technical masterpiece. The cinematography, the locations, the set design, the wardrobe, the makeup, the props, the sound design, etc., 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 everything was perfect. This film is as good, technically, as any other film I have ever seen. The only shortcoming, I think, is the plot, but I will get to that a bit later. All right, before we get any more into this, I need to sell you something, but it's very, very cool. So you may want to actually listen this time. (laughs) (laughs) All right, I would like to introduce you to a game called Vikings. This game is shockingly addictive because it is just so good. I love these kind of war strategy games. Now, this is a game for your PC, but you don't have to download it. It's online, so you just go to the website and you start playing. This game in particular is like a world-building game, right? And that's what I really love about it. You have this Viking village, and you have to develop the troops, and you have to develop the different um, kind of aspects of the village, and you grow your village. So you sort of own this whole village. And then, of course, you interact with other villages. And that's really one of the really cool things about this game, is it's very social, right? And gamers from all around the world are playing it, right? And you can have people join your clan or you can join somebody else's clan and then all of you benefit from working together. But what I really love about the game is just building your world, right? Building your village, building all your stuff, making sure you have all the best everything. Think, okay, I got to upgrade this. And so you move, you go back to the game to try to, to try to improve uh, the, the various aspects of your village. Like in the really early games, like the Nintendo games, it was this very, very simplistic audio. Now you have essentially like a full orchestra right, playing whilst you're playing the game. You have these really rich sound effects, and everything is just very, very advanced nowadays. So it's, it's a free game that these people have put, obviously, an immense amount of time into building. So you know what? Click on the link in the description and start playing Vikings, and you'll get a jumpstart bonus of 200 gold coins. The link's in the description, so go ahead and click that now. And trust me, it really is a lot of fun. All right, now that that's over, let's get back to Joker. The cinematography is is really what struck me most about this picture. The filmmakers have used the brilliant technique of pairing an ugly subject with beautiful cinematography. The the character, the circumstances, the setting of 1981 New York are all grotesque. But note the heavy use of shallow depth of field. This is when the camera focuses only on a sliver of what's being captured in the frame. The filmmakers chose camera lenses with a great deal of character. I don't know what they use exactly, but I'm guessing it's either cook lenses or vintage lenses from the 70s or 80s. Look at the bokeh 
in these shots. Bokeh is the round spheres of light out of focus behind the subject. Take particular notice of the focus in this shot. It's not even on the character. It's on the dirt that has collected on the exterior of the city bus. Now, I think actually they were trying to focus on Joaquin Phoenix here, but the window is so dirty that he doesn't look in focus at all, and your gaze is easily turned toward uh, this dirt here. They could have cleaned the window a little, got it, got a cleaner shot, but they chose not to, and that makes all the difference. The choices made in this film were exquisite. The director has discussed in interviews how he was inspired by films of the 1970s. Well, who the hell else are you talking? Are you talking to me? So there's movies from 1973 to 1981. There's a ton of movies that influenced this film. But the cinematography actually reminds me a little bit of the French New Wave films, but elevated by the precision of A-grade 21st century Hollywood filmmakers and equipment. It's a great trick, and I've seen it done many times, but never so effectively. Ugly things shot beautifully. Joaquin Phoenix's performance was also brilliant, and I'm not just saying that because everybody else is saying it. In fact, I never say that about acting, ever. But it truly was brilliant. I actually think he's my favorite Joker ever. There's something about the soft-spoken Joker in this film that is eminently creepier than the gregarious theatrical nature of previous incarnations. Is it just me? Or is it getting crazier out there? But brilliant cinematography and performance are often achieved at the expense of plot. This is typically because too many brilliant aspects of a picture tend to distract from each other. So filmmakers tend to understate some elements in the filmmaking process in order to let their chosen elements shine. A great comedy, for instance, will almost never have spectacular or creative cinematography. The camera work often tends to be very basic. This is to let the comedy be the focus. Some films, like The Tree of Life, have an almost indiscernible plot which allows the viewer to focus on the beauty of the cinematography and the brilliant performances by the actors. Guide us to the end of time. I happen to hate movies like this. The best movies, of course, manage to integrate mind-blowing plot with mind-blowing production quality. And that's almost what we have here. Many will disagree with me, but I don't think the plot was particularly mind-blowing. For that, they should have called me. That's kind of my specialty. The plot is simple, but well executed. A man has such an unbelievably awful life that he eventually becomes a homicidal maniac. The film is a simple exploration of that idea, and it follows the events leading up to the man's breaking point. Some will argue that the plot twist with the girlfriend and the ambiguity of the ending makes the plot more complex and intelligent. I don't think so. I like the plot twist with the girlfriend, but the ending, to me, is not ambiguous. People think this because they've seen it in other films, where there's this this hint that perhaps all the events of the, the film occur only in the mind of the character. But the filmmakers have already employed this device in the film. It would be very strange to have a delusion within a delusion. What I mean is, if a character is dreaming up a series of events about himself, he would not likely include a delusion within that fantasy. Why would you fantasize about being delusional? You might say, well, Joker is just that crazy. And okay, maybe he is. But, but that's 
not good writing. That's just not how good writers think. And the writing in this film is very good. So I don't buy that these very good writers would suddenly feel tempted to include something utterly nonsensical. Furthermore, this is the Joker. If it were an original character, I'd give ideas about the ambiguity of the ending some more weight, but we already know that the Joker is a murderous psychopath in the established fiction, so it doesn't make any sense to write the film in this weird way where it's just a fantasy. And I read somewhere a theory that maybe he's the one that inspires the Joker, right? Maybe the random guy who kills the Waynes becomes the Joker. But actually, Joker killing... Bruce Wayne's parents was actually an invention of Tim Burton. In the original comic, it was just some random thug. And they've returned to that version of the story since the 1985 Batman film in almost every other incarnation. I think that ideas about the ambiguity of the ending stem from a desire by many of the fans for this film's plot to be more cerebral than it actually is. But I'm sorry, it just isn't. It's a very straightforward narrative. I personally would not have done it this way. I'm a writer. To me, mind-blowing plot is the priority. But I think simple and straightforward has an elegance at times, and I think that it works here in this film for two reasons. First of all, this fictional universe already exists, and it's well-known. Playing with subtle hints, as opposed to spending time explaining the world, actually makes a lot of sense, right? We don't have to create this crazy plot with a gazillion characters to give the audience a sense of the world in which this guy lives if we already kind of know from the other fictions out there. That said, this is a very different version of Joker's story than has ever been told before, and so there definitely was some world building going on. Anyway, the second point is better. This is a character study. It's exploring ideas that aren't necessarily best explored through a fascinating plot. In this case, a simple plot might actually be better. Mind-blowing plot twists can very easily become the focus and distract from a character study. That said, I suggest everybody watch an episode of The Twilight Zone called Time Enough at Last. What? Mrs. Chester, have you ever read David Copperfield? How's that? It's a wonderful book. It's a poor little fellow, you know, his father has passed away, and his mother has married this miserable man called Murdstone. Isn't that a villainous name? Murdstone. Phenomenally interesting character, but brilliant story. These are the kinds of stories that I personally write. So go find that online somewhere, time enough at last, and watch that episode of The Twilight Zone. Don't read about it, watch it. As a rule, I tend to hate films about crazy people, but as a cinephile, I was so impressed by everything else about this picture, plot notwithstanding, that the insanity of the protagonist was not an issue. He also wasn't completely insane. He was, like, functionally insane. You might call him intensely disturbed. (laughs) (laughs) And now to the relevant point. The left is losing their minds over this picture. (laughs) At first, they praised the film. Hollywood folks are suckers for a film with a vague, paper-thin plot, ugliness shot beautifully, and God-mode-level acting. So before this film came out, there was a lot of Oscar buzz. But then they started to see parallels between Joker and lonely school shooters 
and incels. Incels being involuntarily celibate men. Their initial concern was that the, the lonely kids would be inspired by Joker. They also aligned school shooters and incels with the alt-right. But I don't think most school shooters or incels are alt-right. Now, I don't consider the alt-right to be any part of the actual right wing. But the left does, obviously. And that's of course, ridiculous. But I also don't think that incels or school shooters or any of these kind of guys, I don't think they're right-wing either. I don't think they're alt-right. I don't think they're right-wing. I'm not really sure that I would align them with any kind of national political party, but I would say this. Those who reject mainstream society do tend to be leftists. Now, with regard to the primary concern that Joker might inspire some lonely incels to lash out violently, I somewhat agree with that. The Joker as insane as he is, is seriously romanticized in this film. And this is my problem, generally, with the concept of sympathy for the devil. This idealized evil paired with the exquisite execution of the film is a very potent combination. That said, nobody has yet lashed out violently, inspired by the Joker, so... Maybe this concern is unfounded. But, you know, the irony of this concern being expressed so hysterically by leftists currently is that they have been celebrating films like this for decades. <laughs> the film American Beauty romanticizes a man planning to commit statutory rape. That won the Academy Award for Best Picture. <laughs> <laughs> The movie V for Vendetta idealized an anti-Christian terrorist. So why is the Joker different? Well, for one thing, it's very real, maybe too real. American Beauty and V for Vendetta are stylized films. They are surreal. These films proselytize depravity in a way that seems a bit removed from reality, just enough to be comfortable. Joker does not do that. The downward spiral of Joker seems so natural that it is unnerving. There are people with such unbelievably painful lives. There are people who finally break and turn against society. And these people are often the marginalized, the mentally ill, the non-conformist. This is a character that hit too close to home with the left because this character is the left. The left is all about oppressed people. Joker is the ultimate oppressed person. The left wants to shift all accountability from anyone they classify as oppressed to those that they deem as oppressors. And this film perfectly tracks that position. Arthur Fleck does not decide to become the Joker. He is pushed into it. But Joker is still clearly evil. His nature is repugnant. He becomes increasingly difficult to watch throughout the film. After one particularly grisly murder, I turned to my girlfriend and I actually apologized for taking her to the film. And imagine that you're a leftist. Imagine holding the view that depravity should be tolerated, appreciated, even celebrated. Imagine finding traditional values appalling. This film does not condemn that perspective and in fact, embraces it, but it also honestly explores the reality of it. And an honest exploration of the abandonment of virtue and an embrace of depravity will naturally expose the gruesome reality of it. So leftist critics started to perceive Joker as a film critical of the left and therefore began to criticize the film as dangerous. 
critics and the fan community are already musing over what has been discussed as the dangers of the film and the titular character's portrayal, whether they've seen the movie or not. This is amusing for a couple of reasons, but essentially, this film is a leftist film. It's leftist propaganda. The problem is that the leftists, they don't recognize their own propaganda in this case. The film depicts the left so realistically that they don't recognize themselves. You see, the left, the left is Michael Moore looking into a funhouse mirror. Somehow, they see themselves as beautiful. And when they finally look into a normal mirror, they don't recognize their own ugliness. Todd Phillips, the director of the film, is not remotely conservative. He's a non-practicing Jew from Long Island. He doesn't really fit the stereotype of the rogue conservative filmmaker. But even strong leftists in Hollywood, like Todd Phillips, cannot escape the sting of the authoritarian left. Todd Phillips is probably best known for the Hangover movies, but leftist culture in America has become so toxic that he has been put off from doing comedy ever again. In an interview with Vanity Fair, Phillips said, Go try to be funny nowadays with this woke culture. There were articles written about why comedies don't work anymore. I'll tell you why. Because all the effing funny guys are like, F this because I don't want to offend you. It's hard to argue with 30 million people on Twitter. You can't do it, right? So you just go... I'm out. I'm out. And you know what? With all my comedies, I think that what comedies in general all have in common is that they're irreverent. So I go, how do I do something that is irreverent but F comedy? Oh, I know. Let's take the comic book movie universe and turn it on its head with this. And so that's really where that came from. So he's saying here that Joker is a way to be irreverent without having to go to war with the insane authoritarianism of the left that has now infected Hollywood and pretty much the entirety of the Democrat Party. And yet, he's being attacked by them anyway. (laughs) (laughs) What I think has really turned radical leftists against the film is its obvious allusions to Antifa. In the film, disillusioned young people, inspired by Joker, protest the wealthy corporate-slash-political class represented by Thomas Wayne, the father of Batman. Batman being the hero of the fictional universe of Gotham, there is a righteousness that we naturally bestow upon him. We come to the film with this idea that the Waynes are the good guys. And in the film, Thomas Wayne is stylized like a stereotypical 1980s rich Republican. So the aesthetic of the Wayne family is rich Republican, and the aesthetic of the disillusioned young protesters is very clearly modeled after Antifa. These stylizations were bound to provoke the radical left, but this clearly was not the original intent. Todd Phillips and Scott Silver wrote a film about reality. Phillips has actually mentioned in an interview that I watched that when making the Hangover films, he also attempted to ground that story in reality. Tonally, if you watch the Hangover movies back to back to back, which I'm not recommending you do, but if you watch those three movies, they're grounded in reality in a way that a lot of comedies aren't. We've always chose to ground those movies in a very realistic world. In writing Joker, these guys did not simply rehash the stale, fictional motivations of fictional characters that they'd seen on the screen before, characters whose motivations were drawn from other fictional villains, from other fictions, etc., 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 There is a tendency for writers to do this, and it often happens unconsciously. Certain characters in films can be so inspiring that filmmakers can't help but to take inspiration from them. But I don't think that's what happened here. It seems to me that, though the aesthetic was drawn from 1970s films, the Arthur Fleck character was an attempt to explore a realistic case 
of homicidal sociopathy, a descent into madness. What might cause such a descent and what might such a descent really look like? Todd Phillips actually knows what this looks like. His first film was a documentary about a sociopath. I first went to see Gigi Allen and his band perform at the Lismar Lounge in New York City sometime in 1988. The show began and ended with Gigi stumbling down the stairs leading to the stage. He had done too much heroin and couldn't go through with the show, but his fans managed to get their money's worth by repeatedly kicking him and breaking bottles over his head. When I left the club, he was still out cold by the foot of the stairs. Media future, what are my plans? Stay one step ahead of the law. The whole thing was supposed to last maybe a year or two. It was just something that I wanted to get out of me. I realized that there was just so much more that I had to do. And, and, it's, it's, and the more I did, the more I wanted to do. And it's just, it's, I, I, it's, it's, I can just like, take over the, the world or something. This is Gigi Allen. Gigi is a rock and roller who makes the most wild punk groups pale in comparison. I don't know if you'll recall this, but he made the news recently, Gigi did, when it was revealed that he relieved himself on stage, live. Why, Gigi, did you feel a need to, uh, to defecate in front of a live audience? Well, my body is the rock and roll temple, and my flesh, blood, and body fluids are a communion to the people. In the Joker script, the character of Arthur Fleck really is grounded in reality, and the world of Arthur Fleck is grounded in reality. And working within the confines of reality will inevitably reveal truths that you may not expect, and you may not like. In this case, I think an honest exploration of the motivations and influences of a burgeoning sociopath directed the writers toward counterculture, marginalization, anti-authoritarianism, mental illness, self-indulgence, sexual depravity, victimhood, fame, envy, and resentment. Now, a principal instrument of Joker's transition from victim to villain is his sudden and unexpected notoriety. In the film, he kills three rich young businessmen on a subway. Now, he does this more or less in self-defense. These are rich young Wayne Enterprises employees. Like Thomas Wayne himself, they are stylized as late 70s, early 80s Republicans. Because of the resentment that the citizens of Gotham have developed for the upper class of the city, they revel in the news of the killings. This is actually the one point of the film that I think is not particularly true to reality. No matter what your political beliefs, it's very rare that we find anybody celebrating murder in real life. This fictional version of Antifa, these people are inspired by these murders. The killer clown becomes a symbol for the little guy standing up against the rich and the powerful. Arthur Fleck does not intend to make himself into a symbol. He has no political prerogative. But for the first time in his life, he's noticed by people. He's not just noticed, but he's valued, revered. Life often works out like simple math. People say, you can be whatever you want. But we all know that's not true. People say, do what makes you happy. But we know that's not always possible. In order to be remotely successful in life, you have to find a few things that you're kind of good at. And then out of those things, you have to find one of them that people are willing to pay you for. And if you happen to enjoy one of them, well, then you're lucky. And if that happens to be something that pays well, 
well, then you are extremely lucky. You have found your dream job. In the case of Arthur Fleck, he happens to discover that he can kill people without remorse, and people somehow love him for this. He found his dream job. It's a brilliant way of creating a believable set of influences and motivations for Joker. But a believable character needs a believable reality, a reality rooted in truth. The resentful mob can't be arbitrarily violent and hateful. They, too, must be realistic. And trying to develop a realistic, resentful mob, one must explore the motivations and influences of this entity. I don't think there's any escaping the inevitable result of that investigation. You will always end up arriving at something that looks very much like Antifa. And in the film, the mob looks exactly like Antifa. They even use an anti-fascism placard. I mean, the illusions were not subtle. So, okay, the Waynes are Republicans, and the mob is Antifa. So Republicans good, radical left bad, right? It actually makes sense that socialist film critics would be cutting down this film as, quote, bleak and juvenile. That's according to Jordan Hoffman of The Guardian. Or, quote, a movie of cynicism so vast and pervasive as to render the viewing experience even emptier than its slapdash aesthetic. (laughs) That's from Richard Brody of The New Yorker. Slapdash aesthetic. Juvenile. (laughs) (laughs) These guys know how to cast a derisive insult. I'll give them that. But their assessment is laughable. Batman and Robin, that was a slapdash aesthetic. That was juvenile. And the only man who can stop them. I freeze. I'm Batman. Can't do it alone. I have some bad news for you. (laughs) One looks like it was made by a 12-year-old. The other is a legitimate work of art. Joker has an audience rating of 90% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is astonishing considering that it's pretty much an art film. It really does subvert the comic book genre. The critics, though, the critics who ordinarily love artsy crap, they've given it a 69%. Now, the reason it gets a 69% is because some of the reviews were very, very positive, and some were very, very negative. Unreasonably negative. Now, I have read these unreasonably negative reviews. They are very much a reaction to a political perception of the film. And this is because, of course, as I said before, the film represents Republicans as good and the radical left bad. But, actually, it doesn't. (laughs) (laughs) The film is a nuanced and brutally honest exploration of a very ugly idea set within the parameters of a realistic world. Thomas Wayne, a stereotypical wealthy Republican of decades past, is a total bastard. Is this a joke to you? (laughs) He is the bad guy. Todd Phillips was trying to be subversive, remember? What's more subversive than making the good guys the bad guys and the bad guys the good guys? This film is about Joker. He's the hero. The Waynes are the bad guys. Thomas Wayne is portrayed in this film as 
totally unsympathetic and cruel. And I suspect that there was even an attempt to portray him as deserving of his grim fate. That's how deplorable the character was depicted on screen. You've called women you don't like fat pigs, dogs, slobs, and disgusting animals. Your Twitter account? Only Rosie O'Donnell. The Wayne Enterprise employees that Arthur Fleck kills, the moment that triggers his transformation from victim to villain, these guys are unbelievable assholes, okay? They're just the worst kind of despicable bully. They're wealthy and clean, nice suits, physically fit, but they torment an innocent woman and then they physically attack Arthur, not lightly slapping him around. This was a legit brutal physical attack. One of the reasons that Joker is unleashed in Arthur is that Arthur's no longer able to access his medications. Presumably these are antipsychotic medications. Now, the reason that Arthur can no longer access his medications is because a government program that was facilitating the social work necessary to care for the Arthur Flex of Gotham is defunded, presumably by small government Republicans. Arthur, I have some bad news for you. This is the last time we'll be meeting. This is not a film about good Republicans and evil radical leftists. Todd Phillips and Scott Silver wrote a film that tried to justify the uprising of Antifa, even justify violent retribution. With this film, they were trying to say, this is what happens when the wealthy and powerful neglect the common people. This is what you get. I discussed this film yesterday with a very talented, successful director out here in Los Angeles. He's a closeted conservative. He can't expose his political views to anyone without being blacklisted. But he happens to be a fan of this channel, so we've become friends. The other day, he was told by his agent that he wasn't going to be getting much work in the near future because he's a straight white male. The agent suggested very seriously that this director come out as trans, or at least gender non-binary. This, the agent told him would make him eligible to get more jobs as a director. That is not a joke. Anyway, this director made a brilliant observation about the film. He noted that in the film, Antifa has a hero, a symbol to organize around, Joker. In real life, they have no one. They're, they're currently looking for somebody to rally around. It used to be Bernie, but now Greta Thunberg, maybe? <laughs> <laughs> They really haven't found anyone. Does this make them more or less dangerous? I don't know. Despite making a film critical of unsympathetic Republicans and glorifying Antifa, the left has still turned on the filmmakers because they made a mistake. The filmmakers were too honest. This film is a nuanced and brutally honest exploration of our America as it is today. It's dark. It's cynical, but it's honest. The radical left in America is paranoid. They see an accurate reflection of themselves and they lash out, condemning the reflection as a distorted caricature, not recognizing themselves. When an accurate reflection is mistaken for pointed criticism, perhaps it's time to take stock of just how ugly you've become. Leftists don't fear this film because it's subversive or because of the stylistic choices or because it glamorizes violence. They've been lauding films with all of these things for decades. They fear it because it's honest. Well, that's it for me. And remember, it's not that our liberal friends are ignorant. It's just that they know so much that isn't so. Good night.
We have so many people who can't see a fat man standing beside a thin one without coming to the conclusion the fat man got that way by taking advantage of the thin one. Mr. President, in talking about the continuing recession tonight, you have blamed mistakes of the past, and you have blamed the Congress. Does any of the blame belong to you? Yes, because for many years I was a Democrat. Ha, ha, ha.